Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I'm so glad to be with you today. We're going to jump back into our interview with David Englehart on evangelism. Here we go. I had another question for you. How long do you think it really took for the culture of evangelism to set at MSU? And what did it take to really build that initially? I, I, I kind of joke with people. It's like, yeah, I wish I could have said when I arrived here in 85 that I had this master plan and it was going to work out exactly like this. And I was going to put pins on the right. It's like I came in here entirely inept. I really did. And so uh, it, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a joy to be able to look back and see that question, Elise, you know, to think about, man, how did, how did this happen? You know? And so I w- we, we started this in 87. I would say easily by 91, it was very much the culture. It was very much, and, and, and okay, let's, let's look at the bigger picture. This is a subset of our disciple-making strategy, okay? Campus E is making disciples. That's disciple-making. We just have separated it out in a one-on-one thing because it's such a skill set. So ideally, a student would be discipled one-on-one by one student and trained in evangelism by another student. But that's, that's all making disciples. So that culture was being built at the same time with even the vision for making disciples. Okay, we were just kind of getting stuff going on that too. Uh, learning the, the value of what we call more time spent with fewer people leads to greater lasting impact for the kingdom. Okay. And so by the early nineties, I would say it was starting to happen. And that was, that was because of what God was doing. Okay. And, and again, you look back and you see the sovereign hand of God and then you think, okay, man, what was God doing? Because from 89 to 91, we saw 263 people come to faith on our campus. Mm. Is that crazy? That hasn't continued. I mean, we've seen good ups and downs, and we've always seen people come to faith. But what was God doing? He was pouring out his spirit on our campus, but also on our ministry. To I mean, he was, he was forging the culture by doing that because it was amazing. I mean, back in the day before all the digital stuff that we have, I would – I would walk into the building and open my office door and there'd be two sheets of torn off note paper under my door with another two names of people who've come to faith the day before. Wow. Right. I mean, it's just like, it was always happening. Student, it was, it was not unusual for students to get to see someone come to faith. Isn't that amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there, that there's no secret formula to that. That's all the work of God's spirit. And we have seen ups and downs. Okay. But yeah, I would say by the early nineties, God was, God was really forging that into our, into our lives. Would you say that it's really like the people who came in as freshmen when that was starting by the time they were seniors or by the time they were graduated that had now, that's a back. good question, 
James, yeah, that, that may be, I, I don't know that I could, I don't know if I could measure it quite like that because I, and I had never thought of it in terms of the freshman class of 87. Uh, but you know what? By the fall of 87, I mean, we had started to do this. And so, yeah, I mean, again, it was real awkward. It, it, you had you had to be <laughs> willing. Really willing to. So, yeah, I think that's true. And then having students like Scott and others who are just so fired up, I mean, they were just excited to share the gospel. And so, yeah, maybe so. By the by, the class of ninety one, maybe so. I hadn't thought about. That. It seems like so often, just as I hear stories from different, specifically college ministers, it seems like so often, you know, the the stretches from zero to one, and and so many of them are like, I came to faith in college, and just like Scott, they're like, man, I'm I know what this did to me, and. They have a different set of baggage than we have that maybe grew up in the church, but they get that, like, this was so revolutionary to me. I know where this person was before, and they're able to take it sometimes and run with it in ways that I would like to run with it, but it seems harder for me. I just want to ask this question. You're more aged than I am. I'm more aged than Elise. Yeah, We're all more aged than college students. How has that changed when you go out with students as your age has has risen? Yeah, that's that's that would be a great question for my students, wouldn't it? I should ask <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think I've had some awareness of that certainly over the last ten years or so. I I would say this, okay. The most qualified person to reach the universities of the world is the Christ-centered. God-loving college student, okay? I mean, so, so when, and I, I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. That's true for overseas, overseas universities as well. But so I really would say that in, in, some, in some genuine ways, my students are more qualified than I am. I'm more experienced. I I have a lot more to offer in some ways, obviously, but I don't know if I could even come close to having the impact that one of my students could have on a, on their fellow student. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, not to di- not to dismiss someone in their thirties or forties or fifties or sixties like me, mm-hmm. because the truth is, I still I I, I honestly think that my age now gives me a little bit of a professor mm. context with students whenever i mean you know i can walk up and say hey we're doing this we have to ask you some questions i think i think they feel in some ways it's it's a different relational deal mm-hmm. i'm, I'm going to have a harder time following up with them probably mm. but i think there's i think there's some advantages that way to be able to just try to share from my life and wisdom so that's a great question. It's not a disadvantage, mm-hmm. but but there are there are dynamics within that that our students need to grasp that they they are more qualified than I am simply because of affinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of a closer culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Talk to me a little bit about strategy. So we talked about your like this campusy cold turkey evangelism, cold ham, cold beef, whatever. 
that's not your strategy. That's your training strategy. That's your training tactic. What's your strategy to reach New Mexico State? How many people are on the campus? About 18,000. 18,000. Any feel for what percent evangelistic, evangelical believers? Oh, ooh, I would just have to guess um, maybe three to five percent. Okay. Yeah. So oh, we're just barely over a reached people group if we took that in terms of a missiological standpoint. Yeah. What's your What's your strategy look like? Yeah. Uh, and again, I would kind of add to that previous question about, I would say about 50%, maybe, maybe even 60% of our campus has some kind of vague or close connection to the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. okay. We're a vastly, vastly Hispanic culture. And therefore, almost almost equivalent to Roman Catholic, not quite. But, so there's a there's yeah. a strong uh, Roman Catholic influence. Our, our strategy is okay. Train the student to share the gospel. Right? Get them get them equipped to be competent and confident, genuine, and then uh, all the way through this. Not just and then, but at, from start campus E all the way through. Begin to uh, help them gain awareness of what God is already doing around them. Okay, so we have this thing. I don't remember when we started this. It's been it's been a lot of time, a long time ago. But some students came up with this idea. We call it the two by four strategy. Okay, and it's it's simply asking our students to prayerfully select two people that God has put around them, either current friends or classmates or coworkers, whoever, but two people that to their best knowledge are not followers of Christ and to begin to just pray that God would give them open doors to share the gospel. The, that's the two. The two by four, the four is to give them just kind of four ideas on this. Is one, I, the first I is identify. The second is to intercede. The third is to invest. And the fourth is to invite. Okay, so you can see that relational side, right? You can kind of see that working that way. That be aware of them, pray, ask God, just be aware of the people around you. But then, as you do that, begin to pray for them and invest in them. Choose to do things socially with your lost friends. Mm -hmm. Be wise about that, but choose to do things socially with your lost friends and invest in them. Just be a friend. And in the course of that, obviously identify yourself early as a follower of Christ and you know, don't hide anything. But then the invite part of that isn't so much to invite them to challenge, although that could be part of it, but it's that idea of inviting them to Christ. So we, that that's kind of our division that we ask students to, hey, who, who's your two by fours? How are you? How's that going? How's that working? And admittedly, that's a lot harder to measure. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder to, to train in. But at least those students have the capacity to ask good questions because they've been trained in evangelism. They know how to ask a what you, what is your spiritual background? You ever had much interest in stuff like that? You know, that's a fair question. In a, in a friendship. And so they have that background. They would know what to do as that conversation gets started. And so 
trying to be aware of who those two by fours are, praying through that and encouraging continued prayer and awareness in our ministry for those kinds of things as well. And of course, a lot of that translates pretty well overseas. Do you, with people you partner with, I'm assuming you probably use maybe different questions than you would in your standard presentation um, or your partners, overseas partners will kind of train you, hey, in our in our place, we like to use creation to Christ or we like to use whatever to share. How have you seen that uh, translated for your students overseas? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And you're right. Those are Those are the same principles. And again, the whole point of that is we expect our summer missionaries to be in campus. E. I mean, we, we probably aren't going to send a student overseas who hasn't been trained in campus evangelism. Okay. So we know that they have that experience. They level their various levels of, you know, confidence, but they have that experience. And so, and again, that permission principle that applies overseas too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so does, so do the diagnostic questions. Okay, diagnostic questions. You ever had much interest in spiritual things? Do you feel like you've ever gotten to the point in your life where you could say that you're right with God? If you were to stand before God today and he said, James, what makes you right with me? What do you think you'd say? Those aren't meant for discussion. Those are just diagnostic. Kind of gives us an idea of where people are. Yeah, you'll, you'll adjust those overseas because you might already know some of their background. But they're still great questions because it introduces the idea of being right with God. Mm-hmm. The three question presentation, it's just three easy questions that involve good follow up with them. But the first one is, what do you live for? That works overseas. Mm-hmm. The second one is, what do you think causes all the world's problems? Mm. That's a good question. It's introducing, it's introducing the, the problem of sin. Mm-hmm. And the third one is, do you think there's one solution that works for everyone and it's introducing the the solution of jesus mm-hmm. so we've found that our students have been fairly comfortable with using that presentation at least parts of it pieces it. of it as as needed as well as whatever the field team might want to train them in in their orientation what about if you're going to a culture that doesn't believe there's a god or like or believes there's 300 yeah. million gods or yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've partnered in Russia for a long time, you know, and that kind of thing and certainly in other places. But I still think the permission principle mm-hmm. opens the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I was just having a conversation yesterday with one of our students who'd gotten into a really philosophical conversation on campus with a guy, you know, and he came back and was just looking for feedback. And Man, it was great. It was, I was so proud of this guy. You know, one of the things I shared with him was, hey, again, it's that strike zone. Which pitches do you pitch, do you swing at? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when someone says, yeah, I mean, okay, first of all, if I asked for permission, they gave me permission to talk to them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, that says something. And mm-hmm. now early in the conversation, says, yeah, but I just want you to know, hey, I don't believe in God. Okay, that's cool. A lot of times that's not a pitch to swing at. Mm. I mean, uh, maybe you want to go through apologetics and prove the existence of God sometimes, but most of the time it, it, it's not a point of argument. Mm-hmm. It's just saying, Hey, I just want you to know. And if you just go on and begin 
to acknowledge that and ask questions before you know it. They're talking about God mm. that they don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's uh, that's why I would say overseas. Mm-hmm. God is period, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's an, an atheistic you know, culture like China or Russia, or if it's the polytheistic culture of India or wherever Polynesia. All these that the bottom line is He is God. So don't don't take that off the table just because they say don't believe in it. No, just Say, okay, and sometimes I'll say this. Well, what is it about God that you don't believe? And one, a lot of times they can't articulate it. Mm. Okay, or if they do give an example, a lot of the time, genuinely, honestly, I can say, oh, I don't believe that about God either. Mm. So, so it's not a point of argument. I've, I've rarely found it a point of argument where I have a atheistic, you know, apologist. Mm-hmm. Who's saying, I'm going to prove to you, you know, every now and then that comes, but it's rare. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're just giving you a warning. Hey, I just want you to know I'm not, I don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And yet they'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. If, if you learn which pitches to swing at. That's good. What about, I guess it's overcoming the fear. Cause I think that's what stops maybe more than anything else. Yeah. Overcoming the fear. How do we overcome our own personal fear? How do we help students? How do we help people we disciple overcome their fear? Yeah, I, I got to tell this story real quick. This, this was way back in the 80s, okay, one of the, early 90s, early 90s. And one of our guys, big old strong buff ag student, you know, and he, we're, we're going on campus for the first time. He knows what we're going to do. And we walk up to a student and ask for permission. And he says, no, thanks. And we say, okay, that's cool. And as we walk away, Aaron goes, yeah. And I go, wait, what are you, what are you doing, man? He says, man, I was just so glad he, did. he said no. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was so nervous. You know, so I, I feel that for the students. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, one, I think it's good for them to get to watch us. They just have never seen anybody do this. And then to walk away from that conversation and debrief it and ask them how they felt or at any point, did I make them feel awkward or did I do something that was socially inappropriate or rude, you know, and, and as they come back, they realize, oh, it was, it was just the unknown that made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because the bottom line is, if if we can get them to understand theologically the permission principle, I think that takes a chunk of the anxiety or fear away. I mean, I'm asking for permission. If they say no, I'm still burdened for them as I walk away. If they say yes, then maybe my greatest fear now is... And I remember what to say. That's that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And what about? I mean, we've talked about the benefits of it, but if someone was to push back and say, you know, like this campus E, is it actually effective? Does anyone ever actually come to faith in that? Or how do you know you don't turn people off? You know, because you're just out randomly sharing with people. What would you say to that? I hear that, 
but I, again, I would even hear that question from the angle of, I don't like your idea, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I would just say one, yeah, we, we do, we get to see people come to faith. Like I mentioned earlier, I think so far this semester, we've seen 16 students trust Christ. Okay. Uh, mo- most of those through campus, I think a couple of them through relationships. So it is effective in that way. How do we know we're not doing damage? You know, I, I really do honestly think, I mean, who's going to complain if you ask for permission and they say no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who, who, shouldn't we teach telephone salespeople that principle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when they, when you answer the phone, they, shouldn't they just ask for permission instead of just starting to jabber? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I talk to you about your extended car warranty? No, thanks. Yeah. So I just, I mean, and and here's the other thing too. Our campus is not friendly. Mm. Okay. I mean, it has, it has evolved. You know, in the eighties, it was quite a bit more conservative generally, but it's, it's like most campuses today. It's, it is not friendly to us. I mean, and yet in all this time, I mean, since 87, We've not had a single comment from anybody in the administration mm-hmm. about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Not one. And I'm telling you, they're not afraid to say yeah. stuff. They tell us, no, you can't do this when we're, when we're tabling in a certain place. They tell us, no, 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 you can't do it. But we have not had a single comment or complaint in all those years about campus E. And I, and I honestly believe it's because of the permission principle. Mm-hmm. So to that person, I would say, yeah, it's effective. It's effective in helping people hear the gospel. And we're commanded to do that, regardless of how well we know them. It's effective in helping people come to faith sometimes. And we trust the Lord for that, praise the Lord. But it is also very effective in training disciples to be effective in sharing the gospel. And I don't know of a... I don't know how else you can do it. All we do is go to retreats and conferences and listen to podcasts about how. And that doesn't train anybody. I mean, the rare person like Scott will pick that up and go lead 100 people to Christ. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're not going to do spontaneous evangelism training, you tell me how you're going to train your disciples to share the gospel. If they don't see you actually share the gospel in a live setting, you tell me how you're training them. Don't tell me how you're telling them. Tell me how you're training, training them. Yeah. What about as we as we put this on a podcast, right? About evangelism. What about the person they're listening to the podcast and they're like, son of a gun, nobody ever trained me. Maybe that maybe they're an alumni and they're an adult. Maybe Maybe they're a student and they're thinking they're going to go this year and they realize like, hey, like my, my campus doesn't actually do that. How did they begin? Where do they, where do they get started? Yeah. Can I tell another embarrassing story? You may. So before Roland embarrassed me in the spring of 87, Justin, one of our students, embarrassed me in the fall of 86. 
he came to me one day and was burdened for the lost. And he asked me if I would show him how to share the gospel. And I only had one answer. I had to say yes. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how. I didn't. The only thing, and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say this. All we did was get a couple of names. That, back in those days, we got names of students and what dorms they were in, where they lived. And we went and knocked on a couple doors and didn't go well. Did that for a couple weeks. And then we both just kind of let it go. And that was it. And I have, even today, as I tell that story, I feel deep conviction about my inadequacy in training someone. Did I understand how to share the gospel? Yes, I did. I knew how. Did I know no, I needed to? Yes, I was deeply convicted I should, but I didn't know how. And I'm afraid that's where so many of us are. It's not a, it's not a question of character. It's not a question of, it's a question of strategy. And so to that, to that student or that alum or to that believer, whoever they might be that would listen to this or any other thing like that, I, I would say you can do this. You can do this. It might not be as smooth as getting to go into a, a strategy like what we have at NMSU right, right off the top, but anybody can do this. And I would just say find a gospel presentation that you want to use. Prayerfully select one. If you need one, go to our website. You're welcome to use it and copy it and use it all you want. Okay, But just find a gospel presentation and master it. And then go go to the park, go to the mall, go somewhere, go just go to the coffee shop, and take the the permission principle with you, and simply walk up to someone and say, "Hey, I'm, my name is David. I'm with Calvary Baptist Church. Just out today talking to people about a relationship with Jesus. Would it be okay if I ask you a few questions?" That's what I would tell them. I would just say, "Just try that." Mm -hmm. And then let God put you through the refining fire and figuring out how to share it. You're going to have to learn. Don't, don't get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Be prepared. Be obedient. Trust God for success. Mm -hmm. and, and then do that with the idea in mind that you're going to train someone else as soon as you get going. That's yeah. what I would say. Mm. We can do it. We can do it. It's good to have someone correcting you and redirecting you. It really is because you need to be coached. But I would, uh, for someone who doesn't have a coach, I would just say, hey, go through the fire. Let God refine you. That's good. I would also say don't be afraid to take a drive to somewhere that does. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I need that, reach out to us. And we probably know some, probably, maybe not, but we probably know somebody in your neck of the woods. Yeah. I agree. And go spend some time. And it's a little awkward to admit yeah. sometimes as an adult, especially, hey, like I'm really not very good at sharing my faith. But the other option is just to remain not very good at sharing my faith. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I have another I have another question for you. So 
you have said already that you don't tend to hear a whole lot of pushback from administration, but the students themselves, how frequently do you think they actually face some rejection from people? And then the second part of that question is if they do face rejection from someone that they're asking permission from, or even that person starts to get more aggressive towards them, yeah. how do you yeah. coach them after that experience? That's good. Yeah. Again, uh, to answer the first part of that, I think the permission principle, if we, if we keep the permission principle in mind throughout the conversation, there will be times when you'll recognize socially that permission has been revoked. They didn't just say, hey, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. But they pick up their phone and they just start kind of ignoring you or they, you know, or they start pushing back so hard. So we, we train them to recognize when permission has been withdrawn and to, to politely say, hey, you know, maybe we can do this another time if you need to. I know you probably need to go to class or whatever. Man, let me, let me give you this little booklet. We have a three questions booklet that we give them. And can I get your phone number? I'd love to stay in touch. Maybe we can do that. And they're going to say, no, nah, that's all right. So that's one is be aware of when permission has been withdrawn and be okay with that. You, you don't have to get all the way to the prayer of repentance every time. You're not going to. So that's one. Same thing on someone who might get a little aggressive, you know, who might get argumentative. Point one. Don't be like David E. and argue with them. <laughs> I'm not careful. Are you guys? I mean, anybody else? Raise your hand. It's like, if I'm not careful, I could easily be drawn into that. And, you know, like you asked earlier, I probably have an answer for every question. I mean, you know, it's like I have enough experience. Don't get drawn into an argument. Yeah. But if they, if they really start to push back and really, really uh, want to make that a hard thing, then I just think, the point of that is to say, man, I'll be honest with you. Those are some tough questions. And I, I, I'm not even sure that I have all the answers you're looking for. Um, but, man, I, I want to think about them. Is there any chance we could get back together sometime? Because I, I really do want to think about these questions. In a sense, what you're doing is asking for follow-up. And you're stepping away from the conversation. Now, as that student comes back to challenge or they're working with their discipler and kind of debriefing, yeah, we need to be sure that we're helping them understand, hey, let's remember, how do we define success? Okay. Just because they got defensive or even argumentative doesn't mean you failed. Just because you didn't get all the way through the presentation doesn't mean you didn't you failed. Yeah, you might have needed to refine your posture, your tone of voice, etc. at this point or that point. And I can identify with you on that because I tend to do that too. So, yeah, just be aware and show grace and trust that God can soften them even as you walk away. So it's a, it is, we need to be aware of the emotional health of our disciples in that setting to be careful that they're not feeling beat, beat up. But we also need to help them understand that they can step away from the conversation before it gets that far as well. Mm -hmm. 
Is that, is that kind of what you're thinking about, Elise? Yeah, yeah. What, what would you say? What would you suggest? Me personally? Yeah, on, on like if like if it, if if you're training one of the ladies, because I'm thinking especially maybe of the ladies. Mm. If you're training one of our ladies and you sat there and watched them kind of get beat up, mm. how how would you help them through that at, when when it's all over? I think in the past, when I've walked through that with people, there has been a lot to say. You know, this this is not them rejecting you either. Remember, this is them rejecting actually the gospel in Christ. And they may not be open to hearing it now, but our response to them in kindness and backing away from the conversation may open the gospel for them to may open their ears to hear the gospel again later down the road. You don't know the overall impact. That's so true. And therefore, yeah, yeah therefore, don't be afraid to go again. Don't, don't be afraid. Learn from it. Be compassionate, mm. be genuine, but don't be afraid. Which okay, one question you haven't asked, but I do. I, I think this would be another that maybe the the curious would ask: What does it look like when someone comes to faith mm. in a spontaneous setting? How does follow up work? Okay, mm -hmm. that is an honest, good question. It's mm. different. It's different from when your best friend trusts Christ. You have an existing relationship with your classmate or your dorm mate or your high school friend. So when they trust Christ, you're going to naturally be able to be around them consistently and be able to walk with them. Okay. Uh, that may not be the case with someone who you meet on an airplane hmm. or someone you meet on a bench on campus and you get to lead them to Christ, and they, it, it, by every indication, they're genuine. They're every indication, it's a genuine decision. They're, they're, you, you can follow up with them right away and really do some good, good responsiveness there. You walk away confident they trusted Christ. But are they going to be open to letting you continue to invest in them? That's a fair question. And I would say to you, that it's a 50-50 shot at best. I think we need to help people understand that. We've got to realize that success in evangelism isn't defined by them letting you become their best friend. Mm. But, if, but if God is sovereign in evangelism, he's also sovereign in follow-up. We need to do whatever we can to genuinely track with them, text them, if we can meet with them. But if, if for whatever reason they don't, we've got to do a double check on our theology. Are we going to walk away saying, well, then they're not really Christians? If we do that, then we need to rewrite the Bible. But if we walk away with them on our heart, and we're praying for them and trusting that God can put other people in their heart, in their life, and who knows how long, maybe the next week or the next 10 years, They'll really fall in love with Jesus. Who are we? We would be way overstepping the sovereignty of God if we dismissed the authenticity of a conversion simply because they weren't willing to follow up with them as much as we'd like them to. You have time for another story? Always. 
almost. <laughs> I didn't grow up in church. I didn't. I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. My mom was a believer, praise the Lord, but it wasn't much of a topic in our home. I had a friend in sixth grade who was a pastor's son. We were on the same basketball team. And as good pastor sons must, he apparently was inviting me to church all the time, right? <laughs> I never went. You know, I was like, eh, no, no thanks. One particular Sunday, I don't know why, but I went to church with him. And to his dad's credit, he made the gospel very plain and clear. And David Englehart, a 12-year-old boy, sat in a pew and accepted Jesus into his heart and didn't go forward when the pastor invited people to. And... David Englehart didn't tell Doug, his, his best friend. He didn't go home and tell his mother. In fact, he didn't tell anybody for eight years. When he was a junior in college, his first semester at the BSU at New Mexico State, he made some friends through intramurals with some guys who were part of the BSU. And through that friendship, started to go to Bible study. And he fell in love with Jesus. Doug didn't even know any of this. Doug moved away after ninth grade. I was at my 20th high school reunion. And someone walked up to me, which, by the way, maybe you're old enough to know this, but you're not going to remember everybody at your 20th high school. <laughs> so I don't even know who this guy was. But he walked up to me. He said, David, you ever hear from Doug Woods? I said, no, I want to. And he gave me Doug's phone number. Doug was living in Colorado Springs, still does. I went home that evening and called him. Doug, it's David Englehart. Dave, what's going on? And short story, I said, hey, I'm calling to apologize. What are you talking about? Dude, you invited me to church so many times. And the one time I went, I accepted Jesus. He goes, are you kidding me? He said, praise, the, praise the Lord. I said, and I'm so sorry I didn't tell you. But I want you to know what God has been doing through your investment, your influence in my life and your parents. I told them about our ministry and all the people that have come to faith and unless you challenged by them. The next summer we're in Colorado Springs. I get to go meet with him and his parents. Sit in his living, the parents' living room, weeping as I, as I tell his dad. Thank you. Thank you for preaching the gospel faithfully. Whether you got to see the fruit or not, I just, every student who comes to faith. I pray they won't wait as long as I did. But God saved me that day. And I didn't start living it for eight years. It's God who saves. And the evidence isn't always apparent immediately. We want it to be. And we should be faithful to invest. But it's God who saves. One man plants and another waters, but it's God who brings the fruit. Amen. 
That's an excellent story, David. I'm so glad for what God's done in your life and uh, the way it's touched over and spilled into mine and to a lot of people that I know. I so appreciate all your time, all the time. I appreciate you spending time and talking about how you shared. And I appreciate your awkward stories and your embarrassing stories and being willing to share those. And I pray it'll really be a, a big help. And if you are a listener and you're like, I really need somebody to do this with, uh, reach out to us and come see us. I may feel like I'm, I'd be like you when the first guy asks you, he's like, I may not do as well a job as I wish it, but somebody, we can find someone that'll train you and willing to do that or grab a friend that feels like you do and say, let's do this together. We may not know what we're doing, but we'll be awkward together, which I've found helps to be awkward together. David, Elise, sure appreciate you guys being on the podcast and uh, hope to visit, hope to get to visit with you again sometime soon. I've enjoyed it. It's good to meet you, Elise. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, James. You're welcome. Well, listeners, that wraps up our time with David E. Thanks for sticking with us today. Uh, If this has been a help, if you go out and use this, let us know. It's always encouraging to us. I know there's some great resources. I will put some of the stuff that he alluded to. They'll be in the show notes. And let us be better at reaching out and evangelizing, but also better at training the people that are around us to go evangelize. Until next time, we'll catch you later on the One Link Podcast.